So here we are in your office, and just interrupted by the phone from an advertisement. So let's drop into the advertisement. That was perfect. So you've collected these amazing images um, of advertising, of movies, of billboards, of billboards on taxis, on billboards, on buses. So tell me, what's your intention for collecting all this, and what is the theme that you see running through these advertisements? Um, the, t the intention was to capture how, uh, what kind of an emotion, what kind of theme, what value, what image is there that reflects on who we are and um, what, do we, what we consume. Uh, so first, I started to notice a lot of alcohol advertisement, which I was shocked because as European coming to this country, I was not aware you're not allowed to to carry a bottle of wine on the street. Uh, though you're allowed to drink it, but you're not allowed to carry it, so I could not understand that. But then I see advertisements of alcohol, which obviously is exposed to children, to people that they're trying to get off alcohol, um, and so on. Uh, so I, I thought that was like shocking to me, especially like when you go to the subway and you sit down and it's like whole cart is full of Budweiser, or there, uh, there was, I believe, a summer that absolute vodka started to compete with Stoli, and there was literally the whole buses from outside dressed in a beautiful design, but with different kind of flavors of vodka. So uh, I began to take pictures of that, but then I soon noticed uh, images of aliens, robots, uh, um, vampires, uh, kind of a human human-like images that they were not, they were uh, looking uh, brutal, cold, angry, um, basically lacking of basic human emotions, uh, besides how, you know, the side effects of, uh, that they're trying to include on the, on, on the imagery, which is usually like some kind of a big bump in a bag that just exploded, is the end of the world, everything is broken, uh, hopefully there's some blood, somebody has a shiny eyes or a shiny tool, including cowboys, uh, children, women. Uh, so I become stunned with what I found on the street and I begin to take pictures in the subway, out of, out of, uh, uh, on the subway stations, uh, when you enter the subway. Mm. And then later on, you know, the buses became filled with that imagery. So uh, um, right now I have about 500 images that really proves the theme of uh, our raw emotions and uh, advertisement, basically promotion of a raw emotions, catering to raw emotions and uh, lack of values. People can actually look at these images on your website on our humanity uh, matters. So two things here, right? So on one level, obviously these are these methods are to sell things to people, but on a deeper level, they're reflecting back uh, our unconscious material. Mm -hmm. One thing that's really interesting, what you said about the alcohol. You know, as someone who worked with addicts for years. So much of our prisons, the most violent crimes, I don't people really aren't aware of this because everything is always about crack and cocaine and these epidemics, it's actually from alcohol. The most violent 
crimes, including his horrendous rapes, are actually done on alcohol. So it's really so interesting how in our culture, yes, you can't carry a bottle of wine or a um, can of beer, yet this industry has done more damage to the society, more than actually so much of these drugs that people are doing these long, long-term um, jail terms for. The other thing is this constant um, images of annihilation, of the end of the world, of apocalypse. It's interesting. It's just like this 2012 mm -hmm. stuff where my sense is we don't want to do the work, so we want it to be done for us by everything being exploded, everything being destroyed, because we're so dead and we don't taste or feel anything that we want it to be done for us. So there is this really amazing unconscious push towards something of that annihilating nature so we can actually have the work done for us, as opposed to us actually having to roll our sleeves up yes. and do the emotional work. So what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, the theme is really like uh, alienation, separation, um, separation from our own emotions, from our own human condition. Um, to some degree, probably results also from the separation of our interconnectedness with the environment and each other, and then back to our in separation from our own true human nature, um, our empathy, our reciprocity, um, ability to love, um, and then we would prefer, like you said, we would prefer to produce something and then consume it as opposed to just let it be. Um, because nobody's home, though. No, don't you feel like the consumption part of it is because of our inability to actually connect with our true nature, that consumption has become the only way we can actually feel alive, the only way we can actually feel, period. That we have actually forgotten how to actually connect. So the only way we can connect is this false connection. Just the same way that the only food that we feel is food is these fake foods. I mean, sometimes I walk into a supermarket and just these colors of these foods, and you read these um, ingredients. There's like 300 things, and you know, I, I was a biology major. I don't even understand half the chemicals in, in these things. They're, they're just incredible. But we actually think these things are food. And that seems to be the issue. We think instead of knowing. So this, con this connection, the, the way advertising has actually, sort of like the chicken and the egg thing, where the way advertising works, but the way it's actually produced this new quote-unquote humanity, is this incredible disconnection. So consumption becomes the only way we can actually connect with ourselves. Yes, because um, once you're disconnected from the source, and when you said about food, I always thought we are connected to the environment, not with only our eyes, but with our ears, with our taste, with our smell. Uh, and I'm sure we have many other sensories that we connect with the environment and I always thought food was one of one way to taste our environment and connect with our environment and uh, luckily enough nature is uh, available to us to nurture us to our life and also through not only to taste but also that uh, transmits the nutrition and the calories or the, the, the source that we need for life 
And to me, it was always interesting when I came here from Europe that, you know, it did not matter whether you really how much essence food had because I grew up with a backyard, with a garden, where you tasted a carrot and you really literally almost close your eyes and you really experience that. Um, but now you have to put sauces. You know, people usually turn around the package and they want to see what's inside and what the color is like. So it's just very typical how we, we see the source of life and our connection. We have to see what scientist or somebody thought for us what is inside and then we read what we were supposed to consume. We don't trust our instincts anymore. Um, so as, as a mother of two um, young children who live in New York City, who don't have access to a backyard or a garden, how do you educate your children? What, what is your... Really, I guess the bigger question is, like, with our humanity matters, what is your solution? What is your answer to this onslaught of disconnection? Um, I always tried my best. I remember when my kids were six months old, before they even got their first thieves or uh, were able to eat... Um, I would give them to hold carrot or a piece of apple just to chew on. They could not, you know, obviously they couldn't bite it or anything, but I felt that they could taste. Cause, but the first thing children does, they put everything in their mouth. They want to taste it. They want to connect. They want to they wanna basically feel themselves and feel the environment. Because one thing is also interesting, because when when child tastes something or hits against the crib or hurts themselves they 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 recognize their own selves mm-hmm. more than they recognize the environment mm-hmm. but more there is environment that you encounter more that is it food to taste more you taste yourself like Goethe said you go out in the world to find yourself and then you return to yourself to find the world mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, so for example just like talking about food that if if there's no food to taste, because when you're tasting, you really want to get to the essence of it. This is where you really enjoy it, and this is also where your body enjoys it, because it's probably where you feel the essence, the taste of a real tomato or, or a really good apple, that's where probably the really good vitamins and the energy life source is stored, I would say. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I would just intuitively imagine. And just today that we have to have so many sauces over and so many spices, and then they say, well, put this over, this is good for you, but don't put it so much over, don't put so much sugar, don't put so much salt, but now you have artificial sugar, artificial salt, and it's just, and then you have the caffeinated coffee, and then you have sugar-free and everything. It just really tells us how we relate to the environment, because... um, um, Well, and that's an externalization of how we relate to ourselves, right? I mean... Two people can't just sit and connect, or a person can't sit alone and connect. Their iPod has to be on, the TV has to be on, the music has to be on. So this image that you beautifully put out about having to put six layers of sauces on things, that to me is an externalization of our lack of connection with ourselves, because we just can't sit. We have to lay those sauces on ourselves through constant stimulation, be it music, be it reading, be it our computer. I mean, it's the same energy on that level. Mm-hmm. I want to tie this now to we both have this interest in the divine feminine and really how even in, in quote-unquote spiritual circles and I actually want to get to that because spirituality to me is like become like religion it's another word that's lost its essence it's, it's lost we need a new word for that and 
I feel like this will be the next part of our internal growth to kind of put spirituality quote unquote aside and come up with that. But my sense is, we, even in these circles, we pay lip service to the divine feminine. We don't really understand the divine feminine. We don't care about the divine feminine. We're scared of the divine feminine. And part of that is this connection from our own mothers. So one of the images that I just saw um, on your site, which was very, very haunting, was this image of a young child that was in focus, maybe three, four years old, holding the arm of a corpse that was standing, that almost well, was a dead, per dead person with a dead mother. And it said, mother's love is forever. Except in that image, the child was alive with a lost look on her eye. And the mother, you couldn't see the face, but the arm was the arm of a corpse. And that image to me is so haunting because it's really telling of our connection with the divine feminine. So what is your take on that image? Mm. Um, I've been thinking for a while, what is the new, fem what is the new woman that will, what will the new woman look like that will actually embody the feminine? And um, is she uh, very nurturing? Is she very independent? Is she aggressive? Is she, um, what is the relationship uh, to the masculine? And, um, and coming again like from European country where mother has one to three years maternity leave, um, the first thing I notice here uh, is uh, I realize that a uh, woman has six weeks to, to three months maternity leave and yet they feel like that this is really the future, this is really where woman gains independence. And I began to think, and I actually, one of my thesis for my philosophy, uh, for my philosophy program was on uh, sexual persona of an American woman. Because one thing as being like, as I think of myself independent and a strong woman, I, I thought when I came here, I said, no, this is not it. This is not, not what, what really fem female, feminine power is embodied like. And... Uh, and I begin to think, like in the, in the terms like how we relate to the nature and how we relate to the feminine, is it's a little bit. Uh, I think like the whole ground for all how we, how feminine is today um, was late in 17th century, where where we started to construct the woman in order to cons to consume it. It was woman that was there for a man. It was no longer. Feminine was no longer to be uh, admired and to be mysterious, but it was it had to be produced in such a way that could be consumed. So I really believe also, like I know this will sound like a little bit conservative to some degree, but that is dangerous today because woman has so many choices. She has she has full time job, you know, like she has uh, you know birth controls with all those things that have been offered to woman. It was not offered only for a woman to, um, to enjoy it, but it was also offered for a woman to be controlled, to be controlled the feminine, to the unknown, to the, to the uh, mysterious, to independent, powerful feminine. And what happens now that I think in the last, I don't know how long, but definitely a modern woman lost that sense of the power of the feminine and said to herself, well, I can be now like a man 
I can reproduce my, myself, I can become pregnant without a man, I can have full-time job, I can be strong. Like in the advertisement, you see like women with guns, with scissors, uh, evil women. Uh, so I think it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful that woman has these all opportunities to have all those things available so finally she can break the circle and so she's no longer dependent on, on, uh, on certain things and situations, but it's, it's dangerous because we are losing the sense of what is feminine. So that image of a mother that was dead and a girl holding her hand to some degree for me represent who is my mother because, be, you know, uh, bringing up two children on the Upper East Side and seeing all these mothers returning to work after six weeks giving birth and they don't, they don't, they are sad, they're a little bit upset, but they're not that upset. They don't understand that this is really, really about the war. The, um, I mean, about the worst thing can happen to a woman to be separated from this child that she, that she has the power to nurture. It's not the responsibility only, but the power, the opportunity, the incredible power of feminine as it comes across in birth and just being able to have a child. So to me, that is power of feminine. And, you know, just looking how we are controlling nature, it just shows how we are controlling a woman. Every tree is fenced, you know, like everything, like how we are dealing in general with the ecosystem. Uh, but to me, this is power of, of uh, feminine to one degree. And there's... Um, I mean, there's so much can be done now for a modern woman to really reconstruct itself and really gain complete freedom, complete freedom. There's a couple of things. Well, to your point, let's go back to the image for one second. So the image of that dead mother with the young child is that young child not having a model will become the dead mother. So to your comment about women that leave their kids, I mean, sometimes four weeks, it's so traumatizing to both the child and to the mother, but then those children are learning and imprinting from that, and then they're going to do the same thing to their kids. So that's one thing. As a man who was raised by women and who lived in countries where the violence towards women was overt, so Afghanistan, Pakistan, less in Africa where women had more power just in terms of just, uh, you know, culturally. But I always really find it interesting that people here find that women are on par with men, where women are earning 70% of women, where every advertising is sexualization of women, where the whole idea of body image, I mean, in terms of addiction, the anorexia and bulimia that I've treated as a clinician for 30 years is phenomenal. So to me, this idea that here in the West, obviously, for me, I would rather see a woman live in New York City than in Kabul, but there is this level of this same level of violence, whether it's a sexual violence that's towards women. It's very active. I actually think it's very twisted that we think that we're as advanced as we think we are because, again, as you were saying with your images earlier, how women are used to use to sell sex. This idea, these pictures, again, I really want people to go on your website and look at these pictures of these billboards for these uh, quote-unquote gentlemen's clubs, but basically um, how women are being used to sell weapons, to sell movies, to sell alcohol. It's so interesting. Now, that aside, to me, the idea of the divine feminine isn't just a feminine in terms of as a cultural concept or issue, but a divine feminine for all of us. You know, the whole idea of patriarchy, where when we were free and running around and then agriculture started happening 
and really the advent of alcohol, interestingly enough, where we went from, you know, when we started fermenting um, grains to make alcohol, and then wars started happening more because we had these very fixed land masses we had to protect. From my understanding, we went from a more of a divine feminine energy to more of a patriarchal idea because war was happening and we needed that immediate protection. So the divine feminine took a back seat. We're still in that energy. So to me, the idea of the divine feminine is a matter of trust, whereas the masculine energy is about action, and many times action without really having an internal connection. So when I say we pay lip service to the divine feminine, we are so anxious that we don't actually sit in the unknown. To me, the divine feminine actually births herself from the unknown. And these sound like these sort of bullshit philosophical ideas, but actually... We are where we are because we're so disconnected from that intuition. Because if one actually sits and connects when you go to Beijing and you can't breathe the air, when you go to India in any city and you get a sore throat in two seconds, that's a disconnection from the fact that it's not working. That's that masculine principle that pushes ahead regardless. You know, there's this rally, uh, motorcycle race, always the, the name always sticks with me and it's this sort of macho thing, you know, press on regardless. It was a Dakar rally. Press on regardless. And it sounds like, great, but really, like, if your leg's missing, you press on. And if your co-driver is dead, you press on. But, yeah, that's our culture. We press on regardless. It's this real agro-male energy. And women have internalized it. The successful women that I treat, I treat some very successful, culturally defined. And that's another whole thing, how one defines a successful person. Um, they've become better men. They have had to become better men because the men are always trying to crush them. So they've actually taken the masculine principle. So till the workplace changes where there's actually an equality, not just in terms of pay, but in terms of both men and women's minds, um, the divine feminine isn't really active. So what do, what do you think about that? Do these things... No, no, absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, divine feminine is definitely uh, the most powerful thing in... Uh, is definitely being that's and I think maybe that's why it's being controlled, controlled by a man. And this is exactly what I was saying because you know I have the highest respect for the feminine and the woman and everything I'm saying is I'm trying to pinpoint what uh, what can be even add more to self understand and to engage in divine feminine. And it's exactly that now we are in the phase that woman want internalized the man's posture but on expenses of losing something from the feminine. And how do we do, how, you know, yes, now we can say we can be like Ben to some degree. We can have all those things. But what can we go now and back and um, uh, use for what's been left behind or was never completely empowered from the feminine? And um, I guess the masculine, you know, I work with a lot of dying people. And I have, and I've watched a lot of people die. And it's interesting what we consider culturally success. You know, so this amassing of fortune, amassing of fame right now, you know, this whole insane addiction to the celebrity culture, which is just nauseating. I don't see people dying happy. I don't really see people dying at peace. When I look at people's success, that success was never measured in amassing of power and yet we still regardless of our lip service we actually are all my experience of being a clinician are on some level aiming for that so 
So maybe a part of this is a definition of what, what, what is being a successful man or woman. How does one define that? Nothing against if that's really your soul's calling to go out there and make things happen. But I don't see a lot of people at peace at that way. So what is your take on that? How would you define someone? How would you define, I mean, even success, that term is insane. And what is success? How would you define a full life? How would you define a life well lived? Yeah, these are like old questions, like 200, 500 years before BC, like Greeks were asking that question and Roman and Egyptian and the culture and Sufis, how would you define successful and happy life? What is the virtue? What is the meaning? Um, and to some degree, that would be what is the success at the time that was um, obviously, uh, they also meant how do you live in accordance to nature and, um, and, um, and master your own mind and become a virtue, bed of virtue, virtue today. Obviously, that is not what always success means, but today mostly means, uh, like you said, that you're whether famous or you have uh, money or... Uh, um, I don't know, I think that is, that, that is uh, um, the question or the question of the purpose that has been lost, that is no, that maybe the success... Become a substitution for the internal purpose well, or so, value. Yeah. Um, it's and it's. Uh, well, then know. again, how do you in a place like New York City or where you know more people are going urban? Like, how does one connect with nature? And, um, you know, so more than just taking a walk in a park or in a place where the food is tasting more and more like cardboard, and there's a disconnection. Yes, some people can have a luxury of having a flower box and they can grow a little bit of bit of food, but. Again, in terms of your work with our Humanity Matters, how do you connect people with that aspect of themselves? I mean, would you consider nature what's flowing through us? I mean, immediately when one says nature, most of our minds go to a tree or a brook or the ocean. Um, do you connect with meditation as a form of that? Do you connect with internal connection as a form of that? How do you connect with nature? I mean, what will you tell your children when they're old enough and they ask you, how do we connect with nature? Um, well, the way I connect with nature is through my children. We, since they were born, we always went through the Central Park, which is obviously not a perfect setting to observe nature since it's man-made. Uh, but, uh, for example, in Rudolf Steiner School, where they go to, they believe you don't, you don't explain nature to the child. You just let them experience it, and through the curiosity, uh, this is a very important way to, for a human being to ground itself, himself, in the first seven years of life, and that's what we've been doing: looking for insects, uh, digging out rocks, uh, you know, breaking rocks, uh, uh, looking at uh, every every single thing you can notice the, in in the park, from the leaves changing. Um, it's hard, I think, in the city. Like to me personally, I like I like mountains. I like uh, raw environment, deserts. Uh, um, really feeling the sublime of nature. But uh, to get some nature in the, in the city, yes, like that's that's what I do with the kids. Kids has natural. Uh, they're naturally in tune to what you need to do when you come to the nature. For example, children. All children likes to break rocks, which. Uh, 
I, you know, whenever I'm doing something like breaking rocks or running through the mud with the kids, everybody's passing by looking at me. What am I doing? You know, such a messy work and like what for? But children has natural uh, intuition. For example, that breaking rocks to release the energy from the rocks and to look inside. My son is looking for fairies and from gnomes and for the energies and crystals. And it's natural for us to have that curiosity to be immersed and connected with all the elements of, of nature. Um, but this, I try my best uh, <laughs> with the Central Park. I mean, it's interesting. I forget the name, the name of the Native Indian woman who came to Central Park turn of the century and said, the white man has finally managed to put Mother Nature in a reservation. I always found that so haunting. So yeah, that's true. And this point with the children, I mean, Steiner was such, always such a brilliant mind. It's incredible how in this country our education system now has become part of this conveyor belt where the schools, public schools, look like prison, have literally metal detectors. Now you have armed police officers, so this perfect thing of like get the kids ready for prison, which is either they're going to go to the army or go to prison, which is amazing how our culture on that level has become this police state. And then the level of education is coming lower and lower. So... Whoever doesn't get into line, you actually feed them medication. This is an amazing thing about all these shootings. It's really horrible things that have happened that no one talks about how all these kids were actually on these medication that has these unbelievably suicidal side effects. No one even discusses it because the pharmacological industry in this country is so huge. But it's a full conveyor belt, right? It's so interesting how it's like police state, bring the education level, keep them dumb, medicate them, and then get them ready to become good consumers, and then you farm them out. And then you have the elite who do the private schools. They have their own thing, but then that whole private school is brainwashing. They're not even original thinkers anymore. We don't have original thinkers. So this whole thing has become this machine that's just functioning. Um, what do you think about nature then in that kind of culture? Because it's only going to be a certain percent of the population that's even going to be interested. That's not fully brainwashed with the media. So what do you think in terms of internal connection as an adult? So that's with children. So how would you say an adult who has been raised like we have in these kinds of environments, how do we connect with our nature? How do we connect with the divine feminine? If you're raised in America or... Like, yeah, uh, yeah. In like yeah, this yeah. culture. I mean, our, our culture here that we're... we're, we're mm -hmm. Because American culture is becoming world culture. I mean, yes, the it's only true, thing, I believe, yeah. Yeah, the only, I mean, because of the export export of um, our culture, the only thing that's going to stop it is that there's just a limit to the natural resources and this sort of quote-unquote catastrophes, which is the earth just vomiting back because it's just not tolerable. It's just not functional on that level. That's the only thing that's going to shift it. I mean, that's really the saving grace from this full-on fascism that's taken on. The fascism, I just don't mean a police state. You know, it's very interesting. As someone who was raised in third-world countries that were Orwellian, it's very interesting how the fascism in this country is totally a Huxley model, not the Orwellian model. It's not guns and take away people's books. What it is, is you actually make the untruth so big and large, which is this celebrity bullshit, which is this ridiculous focus now on spirituality, which is disconnected from reality. It's this unbelievable focus on diet, which is not really focused on health. It's, again, it's about how you look. So you make the untruth so huge and palpable to the masses that the truth actually takes a back seat. So you don't even have to mask the truth. You know what happens in this country? The biggest news stories 
get released on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday financial, let's say. So people really just goes underneath the radar. And at this point, you know, we all know this blah, 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 where we're more interested in this celebrity's butt size than we are the fact that not one banker has gone to jail. We're so intrigued by the perfect boob job of this celebrity, or we don't care about the fact that you can't drink the water or fracking or what have you. But on a deeper level, what would you say to a person living in this global community or America? What would you say would be a daily practice? to connect with this divine feminine, or at least nurture, at least see if it's real. Hmm. Um, yes, I was wondering about this. What happens if you're not connected to nature to f freely play and experience it as a child? How do you do this when you're after your teenager or in your 20s or 30s? Uh, because to me that is a natural mode of being. When I see nature, I want to play with nature. I don't want somebody to say, stand in line, pay, pay for the ticket, and then you can do, and you can touch this, or you can do it this way. Uh, how do you do that? Like, uh, if everything was always designed for you, you started to play with the puzzles uh, and the plastic strawberries, and, uh, you know, everything is already Lego that was designed for you, so you never experience this absolute freedom the child has in the first few years where they don't know what they're going to do next and it's coming from them and it's like in philosophy they said, you know, like only God is free to create, to have the first impulse. But a child is free like God from the beginning. He has no preconception. And when he sees nature, he just keeps on going, keeps on going. He understands that he is nature, that he is that environment and he wants to recognize it. He wants to understand it. He under, not understand it. He wants to feel it. Um, so that's dangerous in a culture that needs you to be in a box to be a yeah. better consumer. Correct? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. The whole punishment to get you back in line. So. Absolutely. This is why I feel like what, the, like for example, I I take my kids when there are cherry cherry blossoms in the park to shake them into the trees and be under the trees. And I always tell them these are fairies throwing, hmm. throwing, uh, throwing uh, bl uh, blossoms at them. And it's the most, the most amazing, amazing experience. And I always get people to stop me that, you know, that they will prevent me, that I don't treat trees like this, that I'm brutal, I am disrespectful. Hmm. And uh, you can feel that they don't get upset over like things that are really important, like for example, nanny's on the phone for an hour with a newborn on, in the park or things like this when something really is happening that is wrong. But they get upset because they don't want you to interact with the nature. They want you to be just like them. They want you to be controlled, to follow the path somebody put there for you in the central park with the fence around, like we are some kind of a goats that we're gonna go over over the, the edge and eat some leaves. I still don't understand what could I possibly do at the park so wrong that they invested all this money in these metal fences. There's so much metal as much as these leaves. Um, well, fascism is really propagated by the populace, right? I mean, it's not, when you look at all the fascist countries, it's not just a police state, but it's actually how people are brainwashed to carry out the mission statement of the state. So that, that's, that's when someone comes mm -hmm. to you and tells you don't do that or you don't do that. It's amazing how we become brainwashed into that system and anybody who steps out of it is a threat to that system. I mean, this is an amazing thing about this culture that for me I've always talked about, how anything that actually was a counter to this culture, 
became pulled in again. This is the Huxton model as opposed to the Orwellian. You look at the beatniks, which actually threatened it. And you look at the hippies that came out of that and how you could buy hippie clothes and buy pay for them. And then you look at the punk movement. And then, you know, lastly and really sadly, this whole quote-unquote spiritual movement and how it actually sucks it in, it totally absorbs it, and then puts out a very, like a vaccination, it puts out this very, very non-lethal um, form of that out. So then people wear the leather jacket and the torn clothes, or people wear like the very expensive hippie clothes, how it always does that. And it does the same thing with spirituality. So again, in a culture which has this amazing ability to do that, which is sort of like this Terminator <laughs> movies, you mm-hmm. know, where it just becomes the thing itself, but a replica of it without the life force inside of it. What would you say as an adult, what could an adult do on a daily level to connect with that? What do you do? Well, How do you unbrainwash yourself? Um, well, I grew up so much in nature, like we didn't have babysitters, so for the first 15 years of my life I did nothing but climb trees and uh, play with the, in the water, in the water streams. So for me it's easier to reawoke this, like for mm-hmm. example yesterday was snowing. And I went, uh, the two days was snowing, but yesterday and the day before I went to the park. And when I came to the park, I got probably like the most childless person there, like the most playful person in the whole park. Everybody was looking at me where I came from. Mm-hmm. I lay on the floor and I start to roll around and then I grabbed my two sons and start to roll over them. And other parents and children were looking at me and they were thinking, hmm, is she doing, all she's doing is safe, is okay? And then I threw them on top of the bush and then I went under and I said, let's make a tunnel. And then my son started to scream, he put the snow on my face. And I'm like, that's the point. And I did it again. And he started to scream even more. I said, come on, who is the child here? And I started to push them around. And uh, then everybody starts to play. And then other people start to slide down the, the stairs, you know, with their that sled that they had and so on but they really like I was really an outsider from the first moment but I wasn't planning to behave that way but it's just happened when I saw so much snow people need permission I, mean, that's, I think that's, a, that's <laughs> then a, everybody starts to play yeah. I think that's a great point I mean that people actually need permission to be loose so on that level maybe one thing we can all do every day is just in some little way push against somewhere mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. sit somewhere where you could, you're not supposed to sit just for one's own mind yeah. I'm a big believer in going outside one's zone um, comfort zone mm-hmm. for most of us whatever our points of interest are we stay within them so if we're a spiritual person we only hang out in yoga classes and meditation places if we're intellectual we only hang out in speak if we're lovers of music i always find it really powerful to break the personality down by stepping outside of the comfort zone so if you are a spiritual person go take an archery class if mm-hmm. you are a sporty person go sit down in a lecture with astrophysics that you understand nothing and just sit yourself. For most of us, I believe if we do that to crack the personality a little bit, you know, we're very blind to our own hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen the hypnosis having lived in this country for 35 years. I've never seen the machinery as strong as it is right now. So I feel there's no one answer, but certainly the work has to be to constantly break that hypnosis to find out what our true nature is. Um, the divine feminine is screaming out so loud. Mm-hmm. We're just so deafened by everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not even us against them anymore. You know, for me, it's always mind-blowing how the brightest minds of our time, some of the brightest are in the PR world. So when you go back to Edward Bernays, who took 
Freud's teachings and basically started this whole advertising PR nightmare. And now you still still have these brightest minds. We're all suffering from this. You know, this this consumption, this snake that's biting its own tail. We're all in it. It's all one. And I feel it's the job of all of us to actually, for the rest of us, but also for ourselves, to have a daily practice where we go like, how, how powerful this mirror? How powerful am I being blinded today? Mm-hmm. How can I have a little crack in it? Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And doing something different, uh, for, for example, when you said, uh, well, just, you know, just uh, act, do something different. Uh, yeah, and like be more playful, like and, and 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 see the space around you, like for the first time, like child does. Sometimes I close my eyes and I open my eyes and I want to see everything around me, and I like just thank you, thank you for everything to be around me, and just experience mm-hmm. the place. Sometimes I, you know, I walk in Central Park and I just jump and sit on top of the uh, uh, of the uh, the fence, you know, the uh, stone fence, mm-hmm. and I look down and. <laughs> I just feel like, okay, you know, like I hope nobody tells me that I have to get off. But just for a moment, I want to feel the world like just as a child, like, you know, it's my world. I should be able to move around. It's my nature. I I should be able not move without anybody telling me this is dangerous. Don't do this. Don't touch this. And this is what we do with children. Like, don't touch this. Don't do this. So it's ingrained. So it's very hard for somebody then to suddenly realize that they can move around that they can actually touch the tree, climb it, turn around, and do certain things. So, it's, it's it, yeah, it comes down to freedom. Well, children scare the hell out of us because children, that aliveness in them, I mean, when I observe people with children, whether it's friends or whether it's people in public, depending on how damaged we are and how dead we are, we immediately destroy that part of the child first and foremost. So if we were shamed for having life force, immediately we, I just see people all the time, this don't do this, don't do that, is an immediate reflection of our own fears. So I believe having children can be an amazing healing on that level, but many times, just because you have a child, it's not an automatic healing. For many times, right away, people destroy anything that's alive in that child because it scares the bejesus out of them. So that's a powerful thing right there, to really work with that of trying to not to kill things around you even if you don't have your own child when you're in public the other thing is again i want to go back to this uh, idea of dying i don't mean it in a morbid way but Mm -hmm. just dealing with our mortality and again as a guy who's more than half of his life is over it's easier to do this but i was doing this in my 20s and 30s because i was working with dying people the constant connection with this is all going to end i mean it's mind-blowing to me when i'm working with someone dying of a terminal illness or in their late 80s where there is no connection with the fact that they're mortal there's no connection with the fact that this game will be over so that again consumptive and i don't mean that in a financial way alone but that consumptive energy is full on there is no connection um, with the fact that this game will be over at some point and that's something i find actually very helpful to connect with that a couple of minutes a day but if you can't do it daily even on a weekly level just to sit down with your loved ones, even if you want to strangle everyone because you're pissed that day because you didn't get enough sleep or you didn't drink your coffee or you didn't smoke your cigarette. Look at these people. Look at your home and realize this will go. All this will go. And to taste things on that level. Because mm-hmm. on one level, things are so heavy. And it is the job of our clan, whoever is listening to this podcast, who comes to you, comes to me, and who we go to. It's the job of our clan to leave this place a more sane and loving, more loving place than we found it. 
and at the same time not to be overwhelmed by the fact that it's so intense. And kind of bringing this around to all the media work that you're doing, how we're fed so much fear and destruction where constantly there's these horrible things that happen. But horrible things have happened till eternity. You know, they don't come and say, Tanya had a beautiful day with her two sons in the park today in the snow, and these two boys will actually do something positive for the world. It's two kids fell off of a building, this happened, that happened. So to connect with beauty on some level every day, as well as connecting with the impermanence of the world, I find that to be strong medicine. Yeah, absolutely. That's very nice set, yeah. With the beauty and with the, the fact that, you know, we will not be here forever. Uh, yeah, we would live very different if you would connect with this just for a moment every day. Um, so that would be something really powerful to um, practice. And it's really as simple as, you know, I, I always tell people to sit down and meditate a couple of minutes a day. And people think of meditation as trying to reach some spiritual goal. I don't mean it like that at all. I just mean just to sit, first of all, and check in, like, what's going on inside of me? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how we never know. You know, being a clinician, I've gotten this habit where I'll ask someone, like I did today, walking into your office and be, how are you, Tanya? And then you give me your pat answer, although you're pretty conscious. And then I'll give you a minute or two, and I go back and go, okay, how are you, Tanya? And then we have a different discussion. <laughs> and to do that with ourselves. You know, I might wake up and I have nine million things to do. I have to run to the hospital, have a sick patient or so. And before that whole train starts, be like, okay, okay, okay. Sit your ass on that beat. What's going on today? And be like, oh, I'm a little sad today. Or, wow, I'm really excited today. Or, oh, I'm pretty angry today. Just that recognition with self, it's so powerful. Because first of all, I stop vomiting it on all the people around me. And second of all, I don't numb it. So I'm like, wow, I'm anxious today. So I need to just be a little bit slower. I need to be a little bit more cognizant. And at the same time, make room for humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't sleep last night, so I'm probably going to be a bit of more of an asshole than I usually am today. And make a little bit of room for that. And then apologize to the people that I step on that day. So that connection, I find, is such a powerful thing. And we can talk about it ad nauseum. We rarely do it. Because to actually break that feeling of anxiety, to actually sit those couple of minutes, is very difficult. Do you agree with that? Yes, no, absolutely. No, you're right. Um, yeah, but I guess we have a lots of excuses why not to do it the first thing in the morning, but I think that's that's really would be the time to do it because I'm sure most of us wakes up and you're like, oh my God, where do I have to be right now? I want to sleep more, but in, then, you, then you get adrenaline rush from thinking all those things that you possibly are missing or late or you don't want to do. And uh, then you start with from that place, and uh, the, unlined. And the excuse is anxiety, no? I mean, my experience, I really pay a lot of attention to this. This is something that's been like something I've observed firsthand for 30 years. My experience is the ang- Look, we, we have very busy lives, but the excuse, the underneath all that excuse is this incredible anxiety that's never examined. Mm-hmm. And I see people with... Hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank have it. I see people with no money in the bank have it. Mm-hmm. I see people with perfect health have it. I see people who are dying have it. So it's an existential thing. It's not just connected. Absolutely. People go like, oh, well, I'm going through a divorce. I haven't found the right man. I haven't found the right woman. I have no money. I have too much money. Obama's going to take my money. Why doesn't Obama give me more money? <laughs> it's totally disconnected from that you know it's like of course of course we have more comfortable life of course i get that i've had no money i've had money 
It's deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't change with with uh, losing weight, getting more money, getting. The, it's uh, this is where we get really shocked when you get what you think that was causing your anxiety, and then you realize that, that you anxiety. have absolutely the same anxiety. So the thing that we never realize then is in that moment. This is another thing for me. That's a daily practice. Is in that moment, wake up and be like, okay, everything is as perfect as it can be in this moment. I want these things and I don't want these things. But how can I have a relationship with myself with that? Because there'll be always some things that you don't want that you have. And there'll always be things that you don't have that you want. And go for it. I'm not one of these people that thinks you should have some kind of life where you know you live with just a t-shirt on your back. But what does that mean in that moment? How can we connect with ourselves? And I feel like we all run away from it. And here's like one more complication on top of that. People will even use the meditation as a way of disconnecting. The thing that blows my mind, mm -hmm. again, as a clinician, is how people have these powerful practices, mm -hmm. like we talked about. It's like having this powerful Ferrari, but you never get inside and turn it on. You just sit inside of it and you make sounds, vroom, 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 but you don't ever put the key in and turn it. We act as if. We're, we're faking all of it, just the way we fake our relationship with our lovers and our family not because we're bad, just because we're so disconnected. But we also fake our relationship with ourselves. The one thing I've observed with observing people die, the biggest grief point comes when people realize they weren't true to themselves. Yeah. Whether they were successful or not successful, almost always stems from a reaction to what was expected of us at a young age. Yeah. So the person, you know, the rebel is as much of a slave as the person that totes the line. Unless that rebellion is a natural act. You know what I mean? So, most of us, what is that natural act? Well, we don't know. You know, again, it goes back to what we've talked about. Is Tanya a rosebush or is Tanya an oak tree? Mm -hmm. If Tanya's parents hated rosebushes and she acted like she's an oak tree, that's one level of it. If Tanya has a reaction to the mm -hmm. oak tree, became a rosebush, that's one thing. It's like, who are we? Right? And then, looking at your work and all this media stuff and all this... Um, constant bombardment is more, even more of an invitation to this connection. Well, absolutely, uh, this is why my work is in media because it's already hard, like as you said, to be connected and it requires work and and uh, it's uh, you know lots of things happens from through suffering and so uh, that we have to then connect. But uh, because we live in this culture, that the, the very medium and our nervous system is being polluted by 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 corporate driven advertisement and mass media bombardment with negative images and raw images and media is our nervous system now so we have another thing now that we have to work through and uh, our disconnect from the environment is just goes hand by hand, hand with the media and and disconnect so, um, so the media is us I mean that's a great point that yeah. you're making to me again when you look at these greatest minds that are the PR people it's not us against them because they're breathing the same air <laughs> they're eating the same food but they're also the same disconnected people I mean I actually do treat PR people who in the last couple of years are going like I don't know what I'm doing this is actually not the right thing to be doing I don't mean it as a moral connection but people are actually waking up to it so again, it's our nervous system. So we all have power in this thing. We can feel so disempowered mm -hmm. because of the media, because this whole system perpetuates itself. But actually, we're a lot more powerful. 
when you look at people with GMO foods, whether you agree with it, you don't agree with it, or organic food, and everybody goes like, I don't want to eat this, I'm going to eat this. I can actually spend a couple extra dollars if you can. I'm going to support this. We're a lot more powerful even in those kinds of consumer ways. But even on a bigger level, to step back from this constant bombardment, very powerful. And that to me was the meditation, is to actually get some of the power back. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, meditation is to get the power back and to connect because you get a connection back. So any closing thoughts? Hmm. It all comes down to the connection with ourselves and to the environment. Mm. And, uh, and the environment is ourselves, right? So. And absolutely, uh, uh, it is us. It is us. Like when we said before, like Geta said, you know, you find yourself when you go out. Mm. And if there is not much to find because you're disconnected, then you didn't find yourself. Mm. Um, and more you find the environment, more connected you are, more you find yourself. And uh, so, yeah, like I, med- meditation and connect- connection with the environment and to uh, be as alive as possible. Uh, sometimes I just close my eyes and I open them again and pretend like I never saw anything I'm seeing mm-hmm. for the first time. Beautiful. Or I see, I always try to notice when trees are blooming, the flowers are opening, just to be, you know, to be connected, to be alive. And um, The gift of attention. Yeah, attention, yeah. The gift yeah. of attention, to really pay attention on that level, which is the gift of all these practices. Mm. You know, when you're doing Taiji or when you're doing meditation or mindfulness mm. or dance or painting, it's that. It's the gift of attention. Mm. And we can't be like these vampires and these robots and all these images that you gather just run around and not taste anything. Mm. You know, we're not tasting anything. I mean, that's the whole consumptive culture is that. We consume, we eat... Uh, 10 hot dogs we drink 9 cokes because we don't taste the first sip absolutely so even on that level attention is the enemy of the thing that is Mm -hmm. I mean this culture cannot perpetuate itself if we can pay attention this culture the the consumptive culture absolutely cannot and we're screaming out loud so it's not like these PR people are these evil people these PR people are just parts of our own retina that are throwing up this image of what our pulse is. To me, it's not like, mm-hmm. oh my God, how can this vodka ad be a woman who's dressed like a robot? It's like, that's us. They're just basically putting out the group gestalt. You know, how can you have Terminator 9? How can you have this vampire? How can you have this image of the dead mother with a child holding it? This is the thing that we have to really realize. The frightening aspect of these things isn't that this corporate culture is controlling us is the fact that this is actually our nature we don't see ourselves you know it's not abdi looking in the mirror abdi just needs to look outside and look at all the running boards and look at all the vampire ads and look at all the violent ads that's abdi it's not just this one guy separately and that's every person so for us if we want to see what our day is like go outside and look at some billboards and look at some movie trailers and that's where we're at that's the aspect of ourselves that has been disowned. That's actually wreaking havoc on our lives, on our children's lives, and on the environment. And only we can change that by paying attention. Yes. To our true nature. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.